You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. So the title of my message this morning is called Stewarding Your Inheritance. This morning I want to speak on stewarding our inheritance, not just receiving our inheritance. I want us to steward it. So if you can, turn with me to Luke 15, 11 through to 31. Anyone off the top of their heads know what parable that is? Yeah, you do. Parable of the lost son, or you could say the prodigal son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even... You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, you're probably sitting there going, yeah, Nathan, we all know this story and we've heard it preached a million times. Um, and that's true. But I really feel God has something to share to you guys this morning. Now, there's three people in this story. 
And we've, we hear different things about them, but there's just three different takes on how these people handle this situation. See, you've got the youngest son who goes to the father and says, now I want my share of what is going on here. I want my share of this estate. I want my share of your wealth. I want my inheritance and I want it now. And the father goes, okay. First point, random. But he says, okay. And then it says that he divided the estate between them. But it doesn't clearly state, but if you look into it, he had to have divided it by three. Because if he divided it by two, the father would have been left with nothing. But we see later in the story that the father still has land, servants, and a fat calf, and he still has stuff. So he divided it in three. So then you have the youngest son has his share of the estate. You've got the brother who we know has his share of the estate because he divided it among them. And then you have the father who has his share of the estate. So you're all with me. Then we have the youngest son who went off and squandered the wealth. So he took his inheritance and squandered it. Then we have the brother. And you know, we see the brother later on come back in the story and get really upset. But you know, he had his own wealth. And what did he do with his wealth? He just maintained it. He just had it. He didn't squander it, but he didn't go and do anything with it. And then we have the father who seems, you've got to remember, as fathers here, split everything you own into three and start again. Living in Sydney, come on, guys, how hard would that be? That would be ridiculously hard. But yet we see the father at the end of the story has all these servants, land, fattened calf. He just went and multiplied it again. He took what he had and just grew it again. And it appears that he is pretty much probably in a better place he w than he was at the very beginning. So we see these three people and there's three different ways we can take our inheritance and what we can do with it. We can either squander the inheritance that we receive or we can just maintain the inheritance we receive or we can multiply the inheritance that we receive. So this morning, I want us to look at and have a, have a look into, are we just squandering the inheritance that we have or are we just maintaining the inheritance or are we about multiplying the inheritance that we have? Because, you know, we all get inheritance at some point in our lives. Because we all, who hears the word inheritance and just thinks naturally. Like, when my parents die, I will get money. Yay. But there's so much more to inheritance than that alone. Like, my inheritance is so much more than just the physical need. My life and my, my physical needs is one aspect. But then also there's the inheritance of, of my life, of who I am. Like God has placed an inheritance on my life. There's a gifting on my life. What am I doing with the inheritance of the gifts and the purposes and the plans that God has put on my life? Because that is my inheritance that He has given me. He bought me. He purchased me with a price. 
And what am I doing with that inheritance that he's giving me? Then there's also the fact of it's just your, like your work life, the inheritance in your work life. What are you doing with the position you've been given, the authority that you've been given? There's so many aspects to this inheritance, not just physically. You know, I think the greatest inheritance we have, I, I wanted to preach a message originally on the great inheritance. And obviously that is Christ dying for us and us having salvation. It's the greatest inheritance we're ever going to have. But you know what? Before Jesus left, he left us with something. And it says in Matthew, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know what? Our greatest inheritance is the Great Commission. We are left with the church. He sent us to go into the world. He left us His people. You know, the Word says that, that He does not want one to perish, that He loves everyone so much that He doesn't want one to perish, but yet He put them in our hands. Are we stewarded in the church and the Great Commission in the way that God has called us to? Or are we just squandering the commission that God has given us? Are we just wasting it away? The gifts, you know, He left His Holy Spirit as a deposit for the future. He left it in us. What are we doing with that power and that gift that God has given us? Are we just squandering it and wasting it away? Have we become a church that is consumed with consuming? Have we become a people that is more about my needs, my comfort, and my wants than His call, His mission, and His desires? Because that is why Jesus came and died. And that is what He asked us to do when He left. So I don't want to squander the gifts that God has given me and the call that He has left me with. And I don't want to maintain. I don't want to just maintain. You ask us why. Are you doing three services? Why do you do that? Why do you do this? Why do you care about a chord on a, on a keyboard? Because we are called to multiply. We are called to go to the nations and see this world set free and saved, not to just sit and be comfortable. We're called to reach the multiple people. And we can't do that unless we get moving. And that's why, yes, the third service is going to be hard. Who do you think it's going to be the hardest for? Me. <laughs> I do everything. <laughs> With everyone around me, obviously. But I am 100% for it because if I can see one more person saved, then it was worth it. Just one. In the 10 years we do it, then it is still worth it. I'm hoping and believing for more. Give me that. Because we're not called to maintain this thing. We're not called to look around this room and go, man, we've got a comfortable room now. We've got niceness. We've got one air conditioner fixed. I'm working on the other one. We've got a nice bunch of chairs. Let me tell you, the most comfortable chairs ever. You go somewhere else and you suddenly realize how comfortable our chairs are. But then, you know what? We could look around and go, I love you all. i got cool relationships with you all. This is a good thing we've got here. Why mess up a good thing? Let's just maintain it. Because we could do this for ages and just be happy. But no, God has called us to something more. We have to multiply. We have to see souls set free. That is what the kingdom is for. We're not for my kingdom, we're for His. 
I haven't even started yet. <laughs> um, but we're called to grow this thing. We're called to multiply. I want to be like that father that can divide what I have and still conquer. That I can still at the end, like, like Job loses everything, but at the end has more than he started with. Because we should be a people that are moving, that are multiplying. And I, I just, yeah, I love that. I love the heart of that. And that's, that's what I see in the prodigal son story when we look at the inheritance. So, you know, it also says in Matthew, um, and we all know it, I'm not going to read it, but the harvest is ripe. That it, it's, Jesus says he's, he's walking and he's meeting with crowds of people and the crowds are just getting bigger and bigger where he's having to get into boats and he's having to do all this stuff. And he looks at the crowds and just has compassion and his heart breaks because he realized how much, how ripe the harvest is, how hungry people are for the true authentic Christ. And if we represent the true and authentic Christ in and through us individually, then people will flock around you because they want to know what is in you. And then we corporately, if we could corporately reflect the true identity of Christ, then people will flock. And that's what Jesus saw because he is the true and authentic Christ. And he had compassion on them and he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And, he, and, it, and it broke his heart. And that's where we sit today. Nothing has changed. The harvest is ripe. It's just the workers of you. We just need to represent and get working to reap the harvest that he has. So obviously, the three things I want to touch on is how do I move from squandering my wealth to maintaining my inheritance to multiplying my inheritance so the first one squandering you know the young man got all the wealth stayed there for a little bit and then left and squandered it all on a life of self of self and where do we see this i think if you just look in the natural you see it they say anyone who wins the lottery i think it's like 99% end up bankrupt and worse off than they were in the beginning why is that? Because they never paid a price for it. They never paid for it. And that's what this young man, he never paid a price for that. He never worked for it. He just got it. Money had no value to him. The gift had no value. He just got it. I'm just good. Haven't you seen that with sports stars and people who at school and you see that kid that's just so good at soccer or footy or whatever? And they're just absolutely naturally talented, but they never practice, they never turn up on time, and they never go anywhere because they never paid the price, because they just got the gift. So if you never pay a price, you're always going to squander what you get. Because once you pay a price for something, suddenly then you value it. Whoever, uh, no, let's not ask that question. I was going to say, who got given their first car, was given to them, and then they just trashed it, and it wasn't until you bought your own car that you suddenly realized the difference. And you see that happen because you paid for that car. You worked for that money. And I think unless we're willing to pay a price for what's ahead of us. See, God has an inheritance for each and every one of us. And then God has an inheritance for us corporately. We have an amazing year ahead and we know that and God has spoken that. But unless we're willing to pay the price, we're going to lose it. We're going to miss it. 
Now I'm going to preach from a, a, a somewhat of a random verse that I, that I that I once had someone ask me, "Has anyone ever preached on it?" It just came up today to to share on this. But in um, Luke 16, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, "What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer." The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me in their homes. So he called in each of the master's debtors. He asked them first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commanded, commanded, commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a random verse. Sometimes you can read it and go, what is Jesus getting at here? Like, the manager did something wrong, and then Jesus is saying it was good. And then I looked up the word shrewdly, and um, it actually means... In a way that shows sharp power of judgment, intelligently could be another way of saying it. See, what Jesus is saying, first of all, we see the manager was selfish and on about his own self and he was mismanaging the wealth and the owner found out and cut him down. And then he realizes, what am I going to do? I I can't dig, I can't beg, I'm losing my job. He suddenly has a price that needs to be paid. He suddenly has that price moment. And it hits him. And then it, he's like, what am I going to do? And then he starts acting intelligently. And he goes and writes off all these different debts so that these people will show him favor. And then the master walks in and goes, wow, that was very clever. I'm actually going to keep you. You've just shown an absolute intelligence. And then Jesus goes on to say, I want you to understand to use the wealth of this world to shift things, to move things, to use it to make things shift and change. Because he goes on to say, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy in someone else's property, who will give you a property of your own? So he's saying that we need to shift our thinking and whatever it takes here, whatever I have, whatever I can give, I will pay whatever price to shift things, to make things happen. So suddenly I shift from thinking about myself and just myself and I'm suddenly willing to give an act for others as well. Give an act. See, he shifts off himself. And he goes, man, if I do something to help these people, then they're going to help me. 
See that shift? Can you see the shift? And we need to do the same here. God has given us earthly stuff to affect the heavenly, to affect the eternal. So whatever it takes for me to see someone saved, to see someone's life impacted with the kingdom, I will use whatever earthly means I have to see you encounter the kingdom. Yeah? So whatever I have to, and if that means we have to get here early and set up a third service, that is an earthly act of my earthly to see a kingdom come. So we're shifting from just my own self, stealing from the manager for myself. Now I'm starting to work out to help the kingdom come. And that is what Jesus is saying. If you can be trusted here on earth to use the earthly things I've given you to bring my kingdom, imagine how much when you're in the kingdom, I'm going to trust you with kingdom things. So we need to shift into that kingdom realm. So I believe When we pray a price, it brings a change of perspective. We need our perspective to change. It's got to go off of ourselves. See, the young man ended up in the pig's pen, and what happened? His perspective shifted, didn't it? He started paying a price for life. He understood the concept of cost. He was like, I wish I could eat what the pigs are eating. So he suddenly got perspective, and he goes, man, the servants in my dad's house eat better than I am right now. He had a new perspective on life. So if we don't want to squander what God's given us, we need to shift our perspective. We need to start looking things at a a different level, at a different way. I look at like Samson and Delilah. Samson had a gift from God. He had an absolute gift from God, but yet he squandered that because he had the wrong perspective. It was focused on him and him in, in and of himself. He was focused about himself, how great he was and his needs and his wants. But yet at the end of the story, you finally see after he paid a price, because see, he never paid a price, did he? He was just born into it. At the very end, after he paid a price, he lost his eyes, he lost everything. Suddenly he realized, oh my gosh, God, it was you along, all along. It was never my hair. It was never me. It was never anything I had. It was always you all along. Lord, just once let me do something for your glory once in my whole life and he knocks down the temple and kills them all because he suddenly realized the cost let's not do it too late the other one Esau gave away his inheritance not just his inheritance like he was going to be blessed multiple nations Abraham's blessing gave it away for a meal because his perspective was on his here and now I'm hungry and he gave it away for a meal And later in life, he realizes that and he fights with his brother and he's like, oh my gosh, look what I've done. Look what I've lost. Let's not be Esau's and let's not go down that path. We have a great inheritance and we need to to shift. We need to know that it was a price paid. You need to know whether you paid it or not, there was a price paid. We all talk about it, but the chairs you sit on, we paid for them because someone paid a price for that to come to pass. Someone paid a price. The second one was maintaining. And we see the younger brothers just maintaining. He, the dad comes to him and he's like, you've never killed the fattened calf for me. You've never done that for me. And the dad says, but you've been here all along. Everything I had is yours. All along. Everything was yours anyway. You only had to ask. You had it all along. Everything was at your footsteps. But he was just doing life. 
just maintaining, just plodding along. And the father's trying to shift and say, don't you get it? Because you see how he says, it's about me and my friends. You never killed a fattened calf for me and my friends. So he does care about others around him. And he's not just squandering the wealth he got. So I believe he's got that perspective and he he understands there's others because he's worried about his friends. But he just writes off his brother. But that son of yours who went off and squandered all the wealth. But the father turns around and goes, no, bro, that brother of yours. See, that's when we shift from the fact that it's just me and my friends and me and what I like and my comforts. See, the brother was very comfortable. Suddenly he had to become uncomfortable and realize that his brother, the greater need, the greater good was coming. So for this one, I believe, for us to move out of maintaining, we have to become uncomfortable. Because as long as you're comfortable, you'll never grow. As long as we're comfortable, we'll never grow. So we have to become uncomfortable. Because the defining moment in the brother's life was when he became uncomfortable, when he saw his brother come back. If his brother hadn't have come back, he would have just lived out his life happily ever after. But his brother came back and suddenly things became uncomfortable and it shifted it. It shifts your focus. See, it brings a new focus. See, the brother was focused on him and his surroundings. But when his brother arrived and he became uncomfortable, he suddenly had to become focused on so much more. And that's the same when it comes to our personal life or our, our, our corporate life. We talk about the third service. It's going to make you uncomfortable because I love 11 o'clock. 11 worked perfect. It finished at the perfect time. But if I go to 9, it's too early. And if I go to 11, it's too late. And now you're suddenly uncomfortable. But suddenly you have to shift your view. You have to shift your focus because if your focus is on your comforts, your needs, my comforts, my needs, you know how early I'll have to get up to unlock this building? Because it's about all of us. But if I shift my focus off of my comforts and my needs and start focusing on the comfort and, and, and the purpose and the, the, the further picture. So I start thinking about the fact that we're doing that to have one new person walk through that door. One person gets saved. We come back to that. Like he says, your brother was dead, but he is now alive. He was lost, but he's now found. See, my focus is not on, oh man, I had to get up early now. But now my focus is on, oh my gosh, someone was lost and they are now found. Is it worth it, me being uncomfortable? Is it worth it, me shifting out of what I believe to love and like and hate and not like? No, I want to see it multiplied. So I am willing to become uncomfortable, to see the bigger picture and not just look at the little one, the little circle, the little thing. You know, I, I, you talk about paying a price and we talk about the physical. You know, when my dad dies, I'm going to inherit something. But my dad lives in the Philippines. And I realized that everything he owns and everything he has is tied up in the Philippines, like units and buildings and stuff. I'm going to have to pay a price. Because when he dies, I just don't receive everything. I'm literally going to have to get in a plane and go over to the Philippines and sort out in that country's system to sell everything and get my money. Like, don't take this the wrong way. It's not about that. But... Anyone from the Philippines, amen to how hard that's going to (laughs) be. So I'm going to have to pay a price. But I'm also, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be uncomfortable. You know how hot and humid it is over there? (laughs) (laughs) But I only joke about this because there's truth in it. I could just leave it. 
or I can go and do something about it. And I want to go do something about it. Are you with me? You know, when Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very, very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, shift your perspective Shift your focus. What Jesus is saying, disciples, you're focused on the wrong thing. Yes, the poor are important. The poor are important. He doesn't say they're not. He says, but you will always have them with you. There will always be a moment. They're always there. There's always a need. But what she did, she had a different focus. She could see further than you guys can see. She prepared me for my burial. You know, he never had perfume poured on him. This was his preparation because she could see further. She paid a price greater than anyone else because she had a different focus. And see, we can say the same thing. Oh, we sit here or we spend money on this or we do that. But no, there is a greater focus, a greater purpose. There is a kingdom that we live for. You know, we are the bride of Christ. We need to prepare His bride for His return. I want His bride to be the most beautiful, well-dressed, fittest, hottest looking bride you could ever have. We don't want her to be pauper, unfed, undressed, ripped, stained. I want her to be the beautiful bride of Christ because I have a different focus. Cool. Multiplying. How do we shift from just maintaining into multiplying? What What does multiplying bring? I'm going to just turn there and Genesis. Abraham. Genesis 22, 1 to 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Mahar. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains I tell you about. We all know that Abraham waited a long time for his inheritance. His son. And then God turns around and goes, now go sacrifice your inheritance. And I'm not going to read the whole passage. But he goes, faithfully goes. And he goes up the mountain. He ties up his son. Man, I was away from my son for a week and just seen him yesterday man the thought of sacrificing my son and he ties him up and he faithfully does as the Lord asks and he, he strikes the knife back and then God calls out and says no you will never multiply what God has given you unless you're willing to sacrifice it for him and God will call out and say I don't actually need it 
But thank you for showing me that you were willing. Because if we have true sacrifice in our life, it'll bring true freedom. Because once Abraham laid him on that altar and was willing to sacrifice him and had given up on everything, just completely laid it out, from that moment on, he had absolute freedom because he knew that on the mountain of the Lord, the Lord will provide. So no, ma- no matter what I face, what happens, where I go, He is my inheritance and what the Lord has said will come to pass. Absolute freedom. You know that Abraham stuffed up a couple of times. He kept telling everyone that his wife wasn't his wife and all that stuff because he was trying to manipulate and keep what he had. You know, after that moment, he never did that again because he had freedom. Because he suddenly realized that when you're willing to sacrifice something, it brings you true freedom. So are you willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to really see what God has for you come to pass? Because once you've laid it down, then you have the freedom. The weight is lifted off in such a way. You know, Paul embodies this. You know, when Paul says, I've learned what it is to be content, I've learned the secret of being content in the good, the bad, when I have and don't have. Because he just lived in freedom. He had laid it all at God's feet. It didn't matter whether he had or didn't have. Because he had laid it at God's feet. And that is the secret of the content spirit. To have true contentment is what's his is mine and what's mine is his. I don't have to worry. That's true contentment. Because I completely know that God will provide. Jesus says, I know your needs. Put first my kingdom and I'll take care of the rest. And are we willing to sacrifice to see it come to pass? Because I started the story with the prodigal son, but that story wouldn't exist if the father wasn't willing to sacrifice. You know, the father split his wealth at the very beginning. But because he was willing to lay it down, He saw it come to pass. And that individually, corporately, in every way, shape, and form. See, I joked about my dad before, but yeah, one day I will receive an inheritance. But I'm not waiting for that inheritance. Because I know God is my provider, not my dad. I'm not waiting for the day my dad dies, then I can do this. Then I can do that. No. God is my source. He is my provider. And in Him, I have ultimate freedom. And then that day when that inheritance comes, it won't rule me. If God turned around and said, give it, then I'll give it. Because it won't rule me. And then I think as well with the gifts that God's placed on our lives, the band can come up. You know, I, I truly believe, and I hope you agree, that God's called me to preach His Word. That He's given me a gift to steward the Word. To see it and share it. But I could take that gift and squander it. I could have done nothing. I could have never read my Word, never studied, never prepared. Never spent time with Him. Or I could then just maintain it. I could just take the gift God's given me and not pursue it, not push not see that it's about others. Just think it's about myself. 
oh, how much can I get you to like me? How much can I get and be self-focused? Oh, how great's the gift I have? Or I can just completely lay it down. Just completely lay it down and go, God, this is the gift you gave me to glorify you. And if I just lay it at His feet, then I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to be worried about what you think, how I did or didn't do. All I have to worry about is that my Father in heaven says I'm proud. And I only use that because this represents to all of us. It gives me ultimate freedom to just be who I am. I'm not Sal. I'm not Leon. I'm not Leo. I can't share 35 points. I'm me. But it gives me ultimate freedom because I'm willing to lay it down. So I want to challenge you all this morning to look at yourself, look at your own life and look at the year that's ahead and go, what is God calling of me? Where is He asking me to start paying a price or to start moving and shift my focus off of me and my friends and to the greater call, the greater good? And what is God asking me to sacrifice this year for my individual life, for my family and for my corporate church life? and for the kingdom because He wants our hearts and if He can have our heart then we will see this world change You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast We hope this message has encouraged you For more, please visit our website ggclife.com or email us ggclife at ggclife.com From our house to yours, be blessed